Good morning. My name is Brian Seedorf, and um, I'm going to give a completely shameless plug for our men's breakfast that we have. Um, one of the things that uh, years ago, John Womack, God rest his soul, would give a devotional every uh, Saturday that we did that. And then when he said it was time to give it to someone else, then I kept hearing this voice in my head that said, Brian, you got to go do that. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't got to go do that. And then God kept pulling on me, and he said, yes, you do. So I've been doing it for a few years now. And what I do is the history behind a hymn. As we all know, hymns were dropped delicately from the clouds of heaven to completely perfect songwriters. And uh, that's how we have them into our hymns today. Now, the research I've got for the song we'll be singing, um, Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past, I got my research from a United Methodist website, a hymn web website, and Robert J. Morgan's Then Sings My Soul, Volume 1. And I am a school librarian. If you need citations, MLA, APA, or Chicago style, I can get that for you after the service, if you need that. In 1674, the songwriter of Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past was born. His father was in prison for his nonconformist sympathies. That is, he would not embrace the established Church of England. His father was eventually freed and had seven more children. But the boy respected his courage and remembered his mother's tales of nursing her children on the jail steps. This father of hymnody was named Isaac Watts. Young Isaac showed genius early. He was learning Latin by age four, didn't we all? Uh, Greek at nine, French, which he took up to converse with his refugee neighbors, and Hebrew soon after. It's said that even before he could speak plainly, He would cry out these words, a book, a book, buy me a book, whenever anyone would give him money. Butler? Melinda? Definitely. Several wealthy townspeople offered to pay for his university education at Oxford or Cambridge, which would at the time have led him to the Anglican ministry. But because he his family, and his church were committed dissenters from the state church, and dissenters were not even allowed to go to state university anyway. Isaac refused, and at 16 went to London to study at a leading nonconformist academy. Upon graduation, he spent five years as a private tutor. Smart guy. He was more than a poet. Later, he became a scholar of wide reputation, especially in his later years, This is what he did. He wrote nearly 30 theological treatises, essays on psychology, astronomy, philosophy, three volumes of sermons, the first children's hymnal, and a textbook on logic that served as a standard work on the subject for generations. We're not even getting to the music part yet. In 1702, he became pastor of London's Mark Lane Independent Chapel, then one of the city's most influential independent churches. But the following year, 
he began suffering from psychiatric illness that would plague him for the rest of his life. He had to pass off more and more of his work to his assistant and eventually resigned in 1712. His illness and unsightly appearance, yes, took its toll on his personal life. Five feet tall, pale, skinny, but also topped with a disproportionately oversized head. Picture it. Almost every portrait of him depicts him in a large gown with large folds, an apparent attempt by the artist to disguise his, as well, his, his big noggin, really. This was probably the reason for Elizabeth Singer's rejection of his marriage proposal. As one biographer noted, though she loved the jewel, she could not admire the casket case which contained it. Poor guy. Music, arguably, though, played the most important part of his life. In his teen years, Isaac Watts complained, what, a teenager complaining? About the level of passion in him singing in his church, the Above Bar Congregational Church. Here is a quote. I'm going to have to slow down with this one. To see the dull indifference, the negligent and thoughtless air that sits upon the faces of the whole assembly while the psalm is upon their lips might even tempt a charitable observer to suspect the fervency of their inward religion. As in... The way that people sung the songs with blank stares, that made people, it caused people to think they're not really true about their religion. Well, one Sunday, Isaac's father, tired of his complaints and basically whining, challenged him to write something better. The following week, Isaac presented his first hymn to the church, Behold the Glories of the Lamb, which received an enthusiastic response he was asked to write more songs. Therefore, the career of the father of English hymnody had begun. Here's where it gets tricky with his music. Though German Lutherans had been singing hymns for 100 years, John Calvin had urged his followers to sing only metrical psalms, as in singing the words of psalms, strict words of the psalms, to music, no changes to the words. English Protestants had followed Calvin's lead. Well, Watts published a book in 1707 of hymns and spiritual songs. It technically wasn't a collection of hymns or metrical psalms, but it was a collection of consequence. In fact, it contained what would become some of the most popular English hymns of all time. Watts didn't reject metrical psalms. He simply wanted to see them more impassioned. He said, They ought to be translated in such a manner as we have reason to believe David would have composed them if he had lived in our day. For his new songs, immediate praise. No, I'm just kidding. Criticism. They hated it. In fact, here's a quote from one of the, I guess, the pamphlet wars that they had going on at the time. Christian congregations have shut out divinely inspired psalms and taken in Watts' flights of fancy. 
protested one detractor. Others dubbed the new songs Watts Wins. But after church splits, yes, churches split over the songs. Pastor firings, yes, pastors were fired over using his songs. And other arguments, Watts paraphrases, won out. He was the first who taught the dissenters to write and speak like other men, said Samuel Johnson. Among his 600-ish songs he is credited with include Alas and Did My Savior Bleed, Joy to the World, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, Marching to Zion, which he wrote when he was 20, and O God, Our Help in Ages Past. His story has a final Conclusion. On November 30th, 1940, German planes bombed Southampton, England, and destroyed the above bar congregational church, where Watts had learned to sing and learned to write his music. Church records were able to be rescued, but all else was destroyed, except for a bust statue of Isaac Watts. Thank you. We invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 90 and your hymn book to page 117, number 117. We're here today between Christmas and New Year. And so we thought we'd follow the pattern that we use on the day of our United Methodist Men gathering, where Brian gives a history of a song, and then we sing that song and try to drink in the meaning which the Spirit would give us at that moment. And so it's in that spirit today that I want to share just a few comments out of this song as it relates to the psalm and hopefully as we think about the God who has been with us in the past it will encourage us in our relationship to God in the future and so I have five words first of all we find that God is our defense if you'll look in Psalm 90 and verse 1, the songwriter spoke of God as our dwelling place. God is our dwelling place. And when I read that and sing that, it calls to mind that God is our defense. And as I was thinking about this, I could not help but Think about the unusual weather that we have had this year, and particularly the tornadoes, so that when the bad weather is coming through, we all have to find a place which serves as a defense for us, something that keeps us safe. Now, one of the criticisms for a long time of the church and our belief in God is that we are just a bunch of weaklings. That's what the philosophers have always said, that we who profess to believe in God need a crutch. 
And so we have a crutch in God. Now, I don't have time to negate that or argue against it, except to talk about the experience that many of us in this building have understood that God is our defense. It's not because we are weak, but it's because of who God is. The second thing is that God is our guide. The song says, our guide while life shall last. God is our guide. Look at Psalm 90 verse 4. The psalmist mentioned this, a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past. Whatever age we may be, young or old, God is one who guides us down through the pathway of life. God is our direction. God is our goal. God is the one who leads us into forgiveness. How many of us today, as we come to this end of the year, have some need to forgive someone or to be forgiven by someone who perhaps has offended us in the year 2018? God leads us down the pathway of morality. God understands who we are and what we are about and lifts up for us and clears a path for us to walk in the way of righteousness. And God also is our pathway in terms of our choices. Number three, the songwriter reminded us that God is our help. In Psalm 1, or, or in verse 1 of the song, and in the last verse of the song, it says, O oh God, God is our help in ages past. So Psalm 90, verse 10, when you go back to the psalm, the psalmist says, Our days, 70 or 80, are filled with toil and trouble. Now, we're existentialists, right? We know life has got toil and trouble, right? You know it. You know it. You've been there. I've been with you when you were there. You've been there. Y'all have been there. You've been there, that great-grandbaby we prayed. Life is filled with lots of difficulty, but God is our help. And regardless of the trouble that fill up these 70 or 80 years, or for some of us, 90 and 100 years, God is there and God is our help. Then in verse 6 of the song, God is pictured by this wonderful songwriter as our eternal home. And I love, Fred, I love this verse, verse 2 of Psalm 90. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. In God, we find our home. I've, I've thought about this a lot in terms of the prodigal son. Even when the prodigal son was away from home, he couldn't, think, he, he couldn't keep from thinking about home. That's the way I am. That's the way you are. And in God, we find our everlasting 
resting place. What's the first thing you do when you get home after a hard day of work? I go to the big chair. I don't refer to God as a big chair, but God is a big chair because in God I can rest. God is our eternal home. And then listen to this last one. In verse 1 and verse 6 of the song, it says that God is our hope. H-O-P-E. God is our hope. Verse 5 of the psalm puts it like this. Like grass that is renewed in the morning or one whose life appears as a dream. God is our hope. Hope is the star we hitch our dreams to. Throughout the years of my ministry, I've talked to so many people who have said, Jim, my dreams did not come true. Are you one of those this morning? You dreamed of being a great professor, but you never got the position. You dreamed of being a great engineer, but you couldn't afford the education. You dreamed of being a great officer in the military, but somehow all the promotions were passed over. We know something about that, don't we, brother? Oh, I was going to have the greatest marriage. And these precious children. And one day she just walked out on me. One day he just walked out on me. And the people around me didn't understand. My dreams were gone. Don't give up hope. Keep on keeping on. That's what God did. God never gave up his hope for humanity. Even to the point that one day he let this little girl be impregnated by the Spirit and gave birth that we talked about a few days ago in Bethlehem. The hope of the world God placed on Jesus' shoulders. And people like this man that Brian so beautifully described, like Jesus, nothing to look upon, was not pretty, not even healthy, but the one who became a meaningful and helpful resource for us in the Spirit. Oh God, our help in ages past. There is a song in the air, and let's keep a song in our heart as we enter this new year.